1: Hello, this is Brexit Means, the Guardian podcast that holds the inexplicable wonder that is Brexit up to a big bright light, turns it round and round and inspects it carefully from all angles and then says, yuck, what a god awful mess. It's pretty safe to say that's certainly where we are now anyway, so let's take stock because it's been an eventful few days. First, at the 11th hour after sending her ministers out to deny it that self-same morning, Theresa May postponed the scheduled meaningful vote for MPs on her Brexit deal in the face of certain and crushing defeat at the hands of a deeply unhappy and decidedly mutinous parliament. That came a matter of hours after the European Court of Justice had ruled that Britain could halt Brexit unilaterally by revoking Article 50 without the approval of the 27 other member states, which, depending on what happens next, may or may not prove significant. Next, off May sets on a desperate whistle-stop tour of EU capitals in search of concessions she seems most unlikely to get. At least, judging by the comments of the presidents of both the European Commission and Council, Jean-Claude Juncker and Donald Tusk, who swiftly confirmed what everyone already knew, namely that the withdrawal agreement sealed barely two weeks ago in Brussels could and would not be renegotiated. Then... The government pledges that MPs will get their meaningful vote on the deal, complete May, must be assuming, with some kind of addendum or declaration or assurance from the EU27, meeting at least some of its opponents' objections by January the 21st. And finally, shortly before we began recording, Sir Graham Brady, chair of the Conservative Party's 1922 committee, announced that the threshold of 48 letters had been reached from Tory MPs calling for a vote of no confidence in Theresa May. That vote would therefore take place on Wednesday evening, Brady said, so by the time you listen to this, Theresa May could be on her way out as Prime Minister. All of which means that the Brexit process is, to a significantly greater degree, even than normal, in a state of complete chaos, and the final outcome essentially unknowable. That said... Brexit means is here as ever to try and make some kind of sense of it all and figure out if not what will or even what is likely to happen next in this ongoing and very British car crash. At least what scenarios may now be possible with me to undertake this daunting task are Lewis Lloyd from the Institute for Government Guardian political commentator Raphael Bear, and our Brussels correspondent Jennifer Rankin. Welcome to all of you. Um, so now, before we start, this is going to be a slightly more delicate exercise than usual because much of what we discuss could be completely out of date in a few hours time. So bearing that in mind, let's try and focus as much as we can on the process and the principles of the whole thing rather than the people and the personalities. But that said, Raf, I'm afraid um, I'm going to sling you the hospital pass straight off. Let's just get this whole Tory confidence vote out of the way before we do anything else. Uh, Now, the 48 letters is only 15% of Conservative MPs and Theresa May's opponents need the support of at least half the parliamentary party.
0: That's 158. Are they going to get it, do you think? Uh, Well, it's uh, obviously a hostage to fortune to predict this, although as we speak, the the general consensus is that the assassins will not muster that sum. Uh, There is a separate question, which is that if they get enough... Is it so damaging and humiliating that the prime minister's authority is so shredded that she has to stand down to which I think that the answer is, well, it's Theresa May. So no, because (laughs) the the one she she has a number of political failings and fewer obvious political strengths at the moment. But one of her, her sort of political superpower is tenacity and just holding on. And frankly, you have to imagine that if she wins that vote, wins the confidence motion, even by one vote, she will, until dragged, uh, by her heels, clinging with her fingernails to the door of Number Ten, she will try and stay on. Um, and I mean, so, if you listen to this, I think she'll probably be Prime Minister.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, but there is precedent for sort of Tory mm, Prime Ministers disappearing, kind of twenty-four hours after uh, winning a confidence vote, isn't
0: there? Yeah, and and well, there's the the, the Thatcher precedent, mm. um, and but then there's also precedent for the John Major precedent, where he essentially called a confidence. Vote in himself uh, <laughs> and, and and won it by sort of the order of 50, 60 votes. I haven't got the numbers in front of me um, mm. against John Redwood. Actually, that was a contest. The rules were different then. But the reality is that the, the, this so few of the old conventions of politics really still apply at the moment. Uh, so we are really down to rules and she would technically be able to carry on. Mm. And also she would, under the rules, technically not face another leadership challenge, conservative leadership challenge for another year. And so if, as it were, the sort of the motorcade has slowed down enough for the very hard Brexiteers to take a shot Mm. and they missed... Mm she can sort of then speed off a little bit and feel a little bit emboldened, especially if she wins comfortably. But as you say, now we, I've now collected a whole kind of room full of hostages to fortune, so I should probably stop speculating <laughs> yeah, yeah, about this. Yeah. Isn't it? No, uh, but it's, it is certainly
1: true that if she wins, even by a slender margin, it's very difficult to see her going. Um, but Lewis, turning to you, is it true to say that to some extent, you know, at, at least as far as this Brexit withdrawal agreement that we now have is concerned it kind of doesn't actually matter whether may stays or goes i mean the, the deal can't be reopened so that the sort of fundamental reasons why so many mp's are opposed to it are going to stay aren't they the parliamentary arithmetic presumably isn't going to change, whoever's prime minister, and that prime minister will face the same choices. Um, And all of that basically means, you know, unless something happens to prevent it, then, you know, the UK is out of the UK by automatic operation of law at the end of March next year.
2: Yeah, I think insofar as you see the fundamental reasons for so many MPs opposing this deal as being related to the backstop, Mm. I think that's definitely right. I think that you're right to say that the withdrawal agreement looks very unlikely to be renegotiated, be reopened. I mean, obviously, there's a risk that even if you could reopen it, other member states might then see fit to try and push back on mm. you know, issues like fisheries and Gibraltar. But I think there is a question about what exactly you're trying to renegotiate. And I mean, we had an event this morning with Hilary Benn on a panel, and he said that actually the Labour frontbench bench opposition to the deal is largely not to do with the withdrawal agreement and more to do with the political declaration Hmm. and on that you know the eu has said that if the prime minister moved her red lines there might be more scope for renegotiating something and so it may be that actually a new leader could come in move those red lines go back to the eu and say Hmm. fine the withdrawal agreement itself we accept tied up we would like some extra reassurances on the backstop maybe we can sort of start some technical work on what you know facilitative arrangements we can put in place so on and so forth but this political declaration can we have another look at this and if you can have another look at that could you do something that could get some of you know the labor opposition on side as well and you know so that I think that, there that is might change the arithmetic quite yeah. possibly yeah.
1: that's an interesting that's an interesting possibility Jennifer. um in uh in brussels i mean there's 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 got to be a sort of a, a degree of dismay uh in brussels and eu capitals at this latest turn of events isn't there um but just beyond that just going back to what lewis was saying is, is it worth just revisiting why so many mps were determined to vote against the, the, the withdrawal agreement and you know what the, this this dre- the dreaded northern ireland backstop as he as he said i mean could you just explain why from the eu27's perspective that is so critically important and So how unlikely they are to give any ground over it at all?
3: Yes, well, well, to use the the favourite phrase of Michel Barnier and countless other diplomats in this town, the backstop is the the all-weather insurance policy, which is designed to ensure that there will be no hard border on the island of Ireland. And therefore, the UK would remain in uh, a form of customs union with the EU, while Northern Ireland would be subject to even stricter rules. And the the whole point of this is that it's it's to stop a hard border, it's to stop the return of violence to Ireland. And that's that's the first reason why it's so critical for the EU, because in its essence, the EU is a peace project. People might like to think of it as a project about regulating kettles or chemicals. But when you talk to to EU insiders, what it really comes down to is peace, other things as well, of course. But that's that's one reason why they really won't throw the Irish under a bus on this issue, because the second reason is solidarity to member states. And Ireland has made this a, a, big, a big issue right from the beginning of Brexit talks. And I think at this stage, the EU couldn't possibly take an action that would, would have this, such damaging consequences for Ireland a, a member state, um, while giving a free pass to the country that's walking out of the door. I think that would just really call into question the whole value of EU membership, and it would destroy the, the unity that the EU has sought so long and so hard to protect through this whole Brexit process. And I think the final reason why the backstop is so important to the EU is that the British government has already agreed it many times. It didn't just drop out of a blue sky at the end of last month when Theresa May came to Brussels. The, uh, the government signed up um, more than one year ago now to an agreement that there would be this some kind of backstop arrangement. Keywords: unless and until there, were, there was a better plan through a free trade. And Theresa May, once again, backed this up in in March with a letter to the European Council President Donald Tusk. So there have been promises and promises that the British government is ready to stand behind the backstop. And now there's a real sense of, you know, just people are incredulous that the government is still or senior figures close to the government or MPs are still talking about walking away from the backstop and this this debate in westminster seems so blithely unaware of the the negotiations that have been going on at this point now for for well over a year so I think for the for the EU this has become such a, a crucial issue that if the EU were to step back from from the backstop, the whole sort of unity of purpose, it's keeping the EU together in these negotiations, would would really start to crumble.
1: And, and just very briefly, the the I mean that sounds you know rock solid. Obviously, that the, the just very briefly, what what's been the response in in Brussels this morning to the to the news that uh, that Theresa May faces a, a no confidence vote?
3: Some of the words we've had: tragic, absurd, messy, unpredictable horrible. I mean, People are just appalled at the, the situation in the UK. And, and I think there's a real sense of shock that this is happening in a country that for so long was known for stability.
1: Fair enough. Well, yes, they're probably not wrong. Now, um, Raphael, this conservative challenge isn't the only one that Theresa May might have to face, is it? Uh, the SNP and the Lib Dems have been pushing Labour's Jeremy Corbyn, who, of course, is the official leader of the opposition, to table a vote of no confidence in the, in the government. He's refused to do that so far. Uh, now, why is that? Um, and just touching on him, Lewis mentioned it earlier. What, you know, what might be the arithmetic on that? And, and can we realistically expect uh, a, a no confidence vote in the government, whether or not
0: May... May stays or or goes. Uh, well, well, first of all, the crucial thing to remember is that be- because of the Fixed Terms Parliament Act, uh, a, a vote of no confidence such as would bring down the government is now a much more specifically sort of legislated for thing that has to happen in in the past there were sort of conventions around it that essentially meant something that was declared a confidence matter could collapse the government bang general election more or less uh, Lewis might correct me on that but he's nodding so I'm happy um, <laughs> the now it, you, you more or less have to sort of feed a very specific formula into a constitutional algorithm that you know that, that churns out a particular kind of vote which brings down the government now that you <laughs> It doesn't mean that the, you know, the opposition have only got one shot at it, but it does narrow the circumstances in which you might trigger an actual general election, mm. which is the Labour Party's preferred outcome in this or declared preferred outcome. So if you ask the Labour front bench, why aren't you doing this now? They will answer, because we can't yet be entirely sure of winning. Right. Um, and the, the idea is you have to wait. You watch and the Tories get more and more debilitated, more and more vulnerable, more and more desperate. Ideally, you need Theresa May to or someone to have come back from Brussels fails to fix the backstop so that then the mm. DUP are notionally more biddable because they've got 10 MPs uh, uh, and that's enough to, to overturn, to, to completely deprive the Conservatives of their majority. And you might even get some, some fanatical, desperate ultra-Brexiters who just want to smash mm. everything up and see what happens. Who knows? So they're just sort of waiting for the pot to boil more in a more kind of roiling way to uh, to try and bring down the government. But actually that's a little bit disingenuous. The other factor in this is Uh, once you've had your vote of no confidence and it is very difficult to win because obviously, uh, ultimately, the Tories don't really want a general election. Mm. I don't think the DUP wants a general election. Then if that fails, it then provokes the question, well, well then now what's your plan, Labour? What do you actually believe in? And they don't know. I mean, ultimately, (laughs) and that's even the problem if they get a general election, to be honest. I mean, the the reality is that the Labour, the declared Labour position on Brexit, as uh, expressed by Jeremy Corbyn and the leader of the opposition, is... To go in the available time and get a different, better Brexit that ultimately contains all the benefits of membership of the single market with without the responsibility to uphold all the rules of the single market. And if there is one thing, one single thing that we have learned from the negotiations over the last two years is that is that's the, one, the least <laughs> possible, least available, yeah. unobtainable yeah formula. So there, there is a sort of a, a, a central dishonesty in the Labour offer at this moment. And they don't really want to be pushed uh, to clarify that yet <laughs> until they really know what's going to happen next. So there's a sort of a series of gates, they're being pushed, you know, do they then back a referendum? Do they back a sort no. of different kind of Brexit? And if you've been through the gate of trying to do no confidence and failing, then you're at the next gate and you have to declare you have to either no, jump or no, or refuse yeah, to jump to, to come off my, the fence yeah, yeah basically. Whatever, <laughs> yes com- exactly. complicated um sort of horse racing metaphor <laughs> so that's part of the reason they're not doing it
1: okay Lewis um let's assume for the moment that may is still in place after tonight which which most people think, I think it's fair and fair to say still uh, think that she probably will be now. Her her critics insist that she's only seeking a delay in the vote in the hope that something will eventually come up and save her and her deal from a a defeat that you know, that probably really would risk ending her career. Now, how how true do you think that is? Or do you subscribe to this view that this is all actually part of a grand sort of Maybottian strategy, that she's sort of basically deliberately running down the clock simply because the longer that meaningful vote is put off, the starker and more terrifying the choice will become between her deal and no deal or, or indeed no Brexit at all.
2: I think it's got to be a bit of both. I think they're pretty closely linked. Definitely the decision on Monday, it's difficult to see it as being anything other than self-serving or self-preserving. Yeah, at that point, I think it must have looked to her as though the defeat to her deal was going to be so significant that she was going to struggle to carry on as Prime Minister. And, you know, so that's why I think that that sort of feeds into the first option that you gave. But at the same time, you know, there is definitely something to be said for delaying this deal if your trees May, because, yeah, then you are getting closer to no deal. The, the pressure, ru- is, pressure exactly, is rising yeah. all the time. You, you're running yeah. out of time to hmm. sort of run a second referendum or whatever, like it, it... So I think it's definitely a bit of both, right? Hmm. Um, I mean, that said, she has said that there will be a statement made before the 21st of January. You know, there will be a meaningful vote before the 21st of January. So there is still... Uh, she hasn't sort of pushed it into sort of the even more distant future. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like there's still a little bit of, you know, leeway there. But no, I think definitely a bit of both.
1: Jennifer, look, I mean, from the EU's perspective, now what is the room for, uh, really is the room for manoeuvre here? What what could the EU come up with that might help uh, whoever is Prime Minister once again uh, to get this withdrawal agreement through Parliament? There's a lot of talk going around of a codicil or a, a Dutch hyphen Danish trick I mean what what are those really and how how might they work
3: yes well as you say there are there are very sort of technical various technical tricks that exist in to help agreements get uh, ratified when they are in these very difficult moments um, and while it's clear that the withdrawal agreement is now a closed book it's possible that you could have some other text in order to clarify what that means So the most simple thing you could have would be a a side declaration. And this would be a document with some some nice fine words clarifying exactly what that um, legal document means. And that appears to be what the British government was looking for yesterday or or rather earlier this week uh, when when a Brexit minister was here in Brussels and saying that Theresa May was looking for sort of tighter legal guarantees. And now that the next step up from that would be to turn that legal text into uh, an international document that would be deposited at the UN registry for, for agreement. So that would give it a bit more legal force. Clout, it would look more yeah. serious, perhaps. And and this would be um, either a decision or a resolution. And it again, it would be some kind of language to um, just to restate really what's in this withdrawal agreement. For example, stating that the EU has no intention of trapping the UK forever in a backstop. Or that the EU will make serious efforts, its best efforts to find technological solutions to avoid a hard border in any future trade agreement, on a hard border on the island of Ireland. And the precedents there, the precedents are when the Danes voted no to the Maastricht Treaty in 1992 or when the, the Dutch voted against the EU Ukraine free trade agreement in 2016 and in both cases you had legal texts that went to the UN registry that's just clarified the interpretation of those EU treaties and indeed even that the, the agreement that David Cameron negotiated in 2016 the agreement that never uh, came into force because of the referendum and the UK's decision to leave even that would have gone to the uh, to the UN and would have had that special status but none, nonetheless, I'd just be a bit, just sort of two very brief sceptical points. First of all, that all these uh, tricks and, and wheezes are really for, for member states, and it's never been done before for a country that's leaving, where I think the whole negotiating dynamic is different. And secondly, even if the EU did come up with the, this wonderful text, which in fact nobody here has even started discussing yet, but even say this text existed, would it really convince all those sceptical uh tory back benches? Would it really change the minds of Labour front benches? There's going to be no serious changes of substance to what's already been agreed. Uh, and it's, it's hard to imagine that the the real skeptics will be convinced by any fine language coming from brussels i think both
0: of those those two uh, sort of points at the end are, are fantastically important and absolutely right i think that there it is it's very hard to sort of overstate the extent to which the westminster domestic debate about brexit is hopelessly parochial and fails to understand the actual nature of this negotiation as it is perceived from a european union point of view so you for a long time Certainly when David Davis was Secretary of State for Brexit, he was running around saying, well, you know, you can always do this kind of deal. And in my experience of European negotiations, there's always the moment when X happens or Y happens, to which the response was when you were a member of the European Union. Right. This is a very completely different game now. And ultimately, there was this very long period when the negotiations were going on, particularly in the early stage, where it felt that the Brexit was it was literally there were two different things being referred to. One was the actual process of withdrawing from the actual European Union. Union as having to be negotiated in the actual city of Brussels mm. with real people, <laughs> and the other one was this political idea that was being kicked around in Parliament and in, in, and particularly within the Conservative Party. And there was a one, there was a sort of a, just a, a tiny moment when those things fused and became the same question, which was when Theresa May had a withdrawal agreement and was going to put it to the House of Commons. And what you see now is Parliament and domestic British politics just being so appalled by that and recoiling from the contact with reality that it has kind of spun back off into discussing and arguing about Brexit in terms that aren't the real thing negotiated with the real EU, with the real people. Uh, and we're back into that game. Back into it's, of fantasy as, it, land. it's kind yeah. of a, actually, you know, speaking not dispassionately as an analyst, but as a citizen of the United Kingdom, it's actually appalling uh, to witness this consistent failure on, on by both the particularly the front bench of the Labour Party and the back bench of the Conservative Party, failure to grasp what it is they are actually talking about. Mm, yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, I mean, Jennifer touched on that uh, clearly uh, um, in, in her what she her sort of concluding remark there. But Lewis, what, I mean, whatever the EU does manage to sort of Bend over backwards, tie itself in knots, you know, and come up with something that might try and help Theresa may because I don't think there's any doubt that you know they, they the eu twenty seven clearly want an agreement you know it may not be enough to convince the hardliners on, on 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 either side of the debate, and a number of possibilities open up, don't they now, one of which that i'd quite like you to address is this idea that you know that that is that is a, has been confirmed of a, as a possibility since this week the possibility that you know the, the UK can unilaterally revoke article 50 and and actually you know call a halt to the brexit process now that i mean that it is conceivable isn't it that whoever is prime minister again you know could just put this existing deal with or without the codicil or or whatever addendum or, or, or amendment or whatever to Parliament and say, look, vote for this, or um, we're going to stop Brexit completely. Is that likely, do you think? Would there be a majority for that?
2: I feel like that would be quite difficult to make the choice that stark. Um, I mean, we have to remember as well that when it comes to revoking Article 50, what the court ruled was that, I mean, obviously, the legal text is always slightly hazy, mm. classically, but it should be for the long term you know, that would be very much Parliament making a decision to remain. If we were doing it just to sort of buy some more time, um, it's not clear that the EU would be particularly happy, right? So that is quite a big decision for Parliament to take. It's not a, not right now, but give us a bit of a while to work it out. That's actually, no, we've really thought about it and we've decided that we're going to stay for the foreseeable future um, by revoking this. Obviously, there's no way of, you know, if we then did resubmit the letter and the EU was unhappy, it's not quite clear what they would do about it. So, you know, we could probably do it. But I think it's just important to stress that that would be quite significant. And I think that at the moment, whilst there is a majority in Parliament, arguably for avoiding no deal, say, I'm not sure there necessarily is a majority for Remain. Right. Okay, Raf. Just very briefly, uh, before I turn
1: back to Jennifer about what's happening in, in, in Brussels, the other possibility that's that's opened up is a, it, it, or may, uh, some people feel has become more likely uh, this week is a is a no deal. Uh, a straightforward no deal, and there's been a lot of talk around of, a, of, of what people are calling a managed no deal.
0: What, what might that look like? Is it at all possible? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't really understand. I do a little bit understand the managed no deal. It's a bit like <laughs> the way I think of it, it's like a sort of a managed car crash, isn't it? I mean, if, you're, if you have the choice <laughs> between driving a car uh, into a ditch on the side of the road or into oncoming traffic, then I suppose the, you know, the one option is, is is better. Marginally preferable. Um, uh, which, what that means in practice, I mean, it's something Conservative, le- potential Conservative leadership candidates are talking about uh, in, in, a I think, a very irresponsible way to suggest that there is some middle way between just a, a very chaotic outcome and actually the negotiated deal that in 2016, every single Brexiteer lever thought would be available and isn't. And what they mean is getting to trading on WTO terms, which even if you could do it in an orderly fashion would be a terrible outcome for the UK for various mm. reasons that we probably don't have time to go into now. Mm. But th- th- the reality is, I suppose you know what managed no deal means in practice is a is some kind of emergency negotiation that means that make, mean that the planes the, would the keep planes keep can still yeah. take off from Heathrow and land in Charles de Gaulle and actually not every single lorry coming off a ferry at Dover has to have the full range of from third country customs checks because then literally the UK would grind, grind hold. to a halt There might not actually yeah. not be food in in remote shops and stuff like that. So the the, the problem is that if it has come to that sort of situation uh, already the the goodwill in negotiations has been stretched and a lot much of it has been incinerated the People who are talking about a managed no deal are also talking about withholding the budget contribution that has already been agreed as leverage in that, which would be such a renegement on a commitment uh, and a financial commitment that is very significant to the European Union, uh, that you're talking really about the action. It's a kind of Trumpian, almost rogue state way of behaving uh, with regard to what has until now been Easily your most significant trading partner and the strategic ally with which you have built forty-five years uh, of peace and, mm. and you know and prosperity in in Europe, more or less. I won't. The numbers might be a bit wrong there, but <laughs> the so uh, you know it's it, it's actually it's, bonkers. It's I mean, and, and yeah. I mean a a, a cabinet minister uh, who I spoke to very recently. Uh, speaking of another cabinet colleague who talks about this, described it as just completely incomprehensible mm. and mad. You mm. know, they, they, it is, again, I just come back to this point, it is a a, a a sort of a political pantomime in the Conservative Party that
2: is very dangerously removed from, from reality. From reality, really. yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I'd say that's absolutely spot on. I mean, one of my colleagues wrote a blog a couple of days ago saying that there is no such thing as a managed no deal. For all mm. of those reasons, we cannot do mm. this unilaterally. Mm. It is going to be about the EU sort of reciprocating. I don't know if you guys have read the 106 no-deal notices that the government has published, <laughs> but you know we think about half of those have the UK expressing an intention to unilaterally sort of recognise EU standards and mm. so on and so forth in the event of no deal. But you know that's all well and good, but to avoid the disruption, you do need that to be reciprocated. Yeah. And I think that Raphael is absolutely spot on. Mm. If you're going to withhold the money um, and if you're going to have this sort of Breakdown in trust that results from that, you, you you're not going to get anything really yeah. substantive yeah. from the EU. Although they have said that they will consider unilateral action on flights between the UK and yeah, the okay. EU at the very least. At least, At not least. Lee Robbins, oh, okay. the exactly. At yeah, 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 we'll get you <laughs> exactly. down back, uh,
1: Jennifer. <laughs> let's bring you you back in um, uh, because the the EU also made very clear. Uh, this week, that it's upping its no-deal preparations. So uh, two questions, really. F- firstly, how much goodwill is left in Brussels and the other EU capitals to help Theresa May you know, over this, this immediate hurdle? And how much more seriously, uh, since the beginning of this week, um, is the, the, the possibility of a, of a, of a no-deal Brexit really being taken?
3: Well, I I think there are many individuals involved in the Brexit process in Brussels, the national capitals, who are just exasperated and really... uh, in a state of disbelief that, once again, we're talking about uh, reopening agreements and the, and the backstops. But nonetheless, collectively, the EU does not want a, a no-deal Brexit, and it does want to be on the right side of history when it comes to Brexit. It doesn't want to be blamed for Brexit. So as an institution, as a series of institutions, it will work until the very last possible moment to avoid a no-deal and to try and help Theresa May or whoever the Prime Minister is but nonetheless, there is a feeling that there is nothing they could really offer that would really make a difference to the to the British debate. So, meanwhile, the preparations on the EU side for for No Deal continue, and uh, we hear um, member states are are calling on the European Commission to to start issuing more of their delegated acts, implementing acts, all the technical uh, legislation that will be required to put in place No Deal measures. And to just echo what you said before, there is there is no such thing as a managed no deal in, in certainly not in the EU's eyes. But nonetheless, there could be a series of of, um, of agreements, but these would all be done for the convenience of EU member states prioritizing what the EU wants. So while there might be an agreement that planes could continue to fly, say, for, from London to Paris, that maybe that British Airways flight would not be able to fly from Paris to Madrid as it, as it currently can now. So anything that's agreed under No Deal will be agreed to to suit the EU. And the idea that then, as you hear from some Tory backbenchers, that then we'd be sitting down to negotiate the Super Canada uh, agreement is is just delusional. Because I think that that as as has been said by um, by Rafael and Lewis, I mean the whole the whole sort of political dynamic would be so poisoned by a breakdown in negotiations that led to no deal. So I think there's there's still some hope it can be averted, but the the mood is quite quite dark here at the moment. And there's a real sense of, um, you know, they may have not run out of patience yet, but they feel like they, perhaps the UK has run out is running out of options.
0: Can I, sorry, just interject yes. something on the parliamentary uh, angle of this as well, which is that it is often said that there is no majority in Parliament for No Deal, uh, which is true. Uh, and you know, if you asked MPs whether or not they think it's a good idea for the UK to leave the EU or No Deal, you would get an overwhelming majority saying they think it's not. But that doesn't change the fact that it, it legally. Uh, the UK's membership of the EU expires at the mm. end of next March, and therefore, uh, a very important sort of way to, to to think of the next few months is that there are very there are fixed destinations, such as possibly staying in the European Union because you can rescind Article mm. 50, just crashing out with No Deal, or or a deal which substantially looks like. Is at least the foundation of which is the withdrawal agreement that we've got already. So those are the three mm. fixed ex- destinations. And then there are a set of mechanisms that get you to them. So perhaps another referendum or just voting for the deal in Parliament or doing nothing, right? So those are your options. And then if you try and match a, a, a mechanism to an outcome, the easiest, quickest route, the one that works most efficiently is doing nothing and no deal, right? So if you are mm. thinking about the probability mm. of what might happen sort of mathematically, actually, the smoothest path, so to speak, is do nothing, get no deal. And so I think you have to take very seriously the possibility that that's what will happen.
1: Yes, well, that's slightly terrifying. Uh, Lewis, do you you agree agree with that? I mean, a lot of people have said, actually, that, you know, if if this week proved anything, it's that the, or underlined anything, is that Parliament is completely deadlocked, and there is no real majority for anything in in particular. Does that make, for example, a a second referendum more likely
2: I mean, first of all, I'd say I completely agree with Raphael. You know, our, our default outcome here is no deal. Um, but you're right to say too that you know Parliament has you know has been asserting itself. Arguably, there is no majority for no deal. So yeah, there is a question as to whether some of these other processes that might get us out of a no deal situation, such as a general election or a second referendum, are on the table. One thing I would say is that time is critical. <laughs> so if you think about a second referendum. It looks very likely, frankly, that if you wanted to go through with that, you may need to extend Article Fifty. And if you're extending Article Fifty, that gets really very complicated because you have European Parliament elections taking place in May. You know, the EU does not really want us to sort of remain a member beyond that because, as a member, we would need to have MEPs. They have reallocated well some say a third to two-thirds of our seats already and they're saving some others like Serbia and Albania later (laughs) on. Um, So you know that all gets very complicated if we stay on provisionally into the new parliament. There's also a new commission coming in in October so you know how far you can really extend that period you know it could only really be a matter of weeks maybe tops like a couple of months so up to when the new MEPs sit in July for the first time. Um, So you Frankly, either way, you're not getting that much time. And if there wasn't agreement from the EU to extend that, then you're back to no deal as your default. Um, general election, sh- you know, you can do that faster. Um, but again, time is critical because you could end up losing you know, eight weeks of parliamentary time. Mm. And that is critical when you have legislation that needs to go through in the event of no deal. And actually, if you have gone through the general election process and you do end up with a new government, I mean, frankly, who knows what that could be at this also, point. Also, but very quickly, you need so legislation yeah. in the event of a deal as well. Yeah, well, exactly. You need the withdrawal no, is, agreement to be implemented in a bill. Absolutely. So so you need to get that through before the 29th of March. There were, We think there are three other pieces of legislation that in the event of no deal you would need. And, you know, so they are on fisheries, financial services and the trade bill, which has sort of vanished from sight since <laughs> last September. Goodness knows what's happened to that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, even... Yeah, in the sort of best case scenario for a general election, you're really cutting parliamentary time down. Really, and he- really tight. And it becomes very difficult to yeah, get either something mm. in in the case of a deal, get that legislation mm. passed or get the necessary legislation in place for no deal to have at least a relatively managed no deal to the extent that that's at all possible.
1: OK, we're running out of time. I just want to put you all really in a completely, completely impossible spot now, just very briefly. Um, and I'm not going to hold you to this in future episodes <laughs> uh, or berate you with it. I just like to, to know where where, what do you think is the most likely outcome now? Where are we? Where are we headed after this quite extraordinary few days? Uh, Jennifer, let's start with you.
3: Oh, come to me first. Well, uh, um, I, this could this I could this could be proved wrong within uh, twelve hours. But I'm going to put my money on Theresa May uh, winning her vote uh, tonight, and therefore having being in a stronger position to push through her deal, and possibly putting that to Parliament, and maybe with a possibility of getting it through. But that said, I really think no deal or a second referendum. They can't be ruled out. It with no deal remaining the default. So a bit sitting on the fence a bit.
0: Okay, Raf. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. My sense is that there is quite a strong feeling around the Labour Party, although many are really pushing for for a referendum. It's quite a strong cultural, political, for all sorts of reasons, aversion, both to the referendum and to the People's Vote organisation that wants a referendum, because Corbyn sees that as a sort of rival insurgency to his own sort of Labour momentum thing. So the possibility of they're sort of finding some way in which you could sort of lend some Labour votes to... Theresa May's deal without Corbyn having fingerprints on having formally given a blessing to it and thereby smuggling it over the line so you don't have to have a referendum, you get Brexit but not the blame for Brexit, is I think a Corbyn endgame that he will have an eye on and therefore I think that's quite possible.
2: Okay, Lewis? Yeah, I actually broadly agree with Raphael. I mean I do think that this deal is about the best you're going to get. I do think the political declaration is so hazy still that there are lots of directions you could take it in. So, um, you know, it doesn't sort of really set a clear course of action. And I think that if you are a Labour frontbencher or backbencher, frankly, you might look at it and go, well, yeah, maybe Customs Union and EEA isn't sort of clearly there, but we can we can work with that. So, no, I, I do think that regardless of what happens with you know, Theresa May herself today, I do think the deal could end up getting support when it really comes down to the line. Um, And yeah, whoever takes that forward, I guess that's another question. Okay, well, that's about it for this time, I'm afraid. Um, My
1: thanks to Lewis Lloyd. Uh, Raphael Baer, Jennifer Rankin we will be back early in the new year to see what fresh horrors Brexit has brought over the festive season please do subscribe and review on all your favourite podcatchers join the discussion on Twitter you just need to search for Guardian Podcasts if you want to get in touch it's Brexit at theguardian.com till next time then I'm John Henley the producer was Simon Barnard this was Brexit Means and thank you very much for listening
3: for more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com/podcasts. Today in Focus is a new Guardian podcast that brings you closer to our journalism by getting behind the news every weekday. You'll join me, Anushka Astana, talking to people at the center of the big stories impacting our world. We'll use personal perspectives and expert analysis put you at the heart of what matters. Listen to Today in Focus and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of
1: 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.